0: Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. This is Gloria Frim. I'm a poet and fiction writer, and I live in Berkeley. And I'm going to read from a manuscript of stories and proses. Um, one of the stories, "More Lies," was originally published in Fiction Addict, which is Michelle Richmond's online magazine. I teach at California College of the Arts in the writing programs. Lie. One lie begats another. It is the law of artifice. A lie which may be nothing more than a fiction in the service of the truth or an improvement on the actual always seems to require deeper amplification. Novelists know this, but a simpler proof is available to anyone. A woman tells an innocent lie to a neighbor. My husband arrives on Sunday. She is not, in fact, married to this man. There is easy dispatch in the word husband, and she has come to this resort town to be simple, to abstract herself down to a few concrete elements. The sea, the sun, the fish, the sunset, sleep. In short, the physical. The neighbor and her husband are elderly and have lived a long life together in a remote place far away. They, too, have come here for rest. She tells them what she imagines they can understand, though of course she underestimates their comprehension in the brief cordial interchanges wherein they are tourists. All such meetings between strangers are touristic. The visual reigns. It is the texture of the neighbor's dyed and curled hair, put up in bobby pins, the deep furrows on the man's face that seem to locate the couple in a convention, in an orbit unlike the liars, from another preceding century. But the wife and the husband are not relics, even if, in her haste, she makes them so. They treat her with a cordial remove, kindly, though the woman does most of the talking while the man recedes in bemused irony. When the husband arrives, by the time he arrives, he is referred to by his first name, the discomfort of the lie already rubbing the liar like sand in a tight bathing suit. A meeting of the four occurs, wherein, for the first time, the elderly woman offers—and by the way, our last name is Foster. The younger couple does not reciprocate, having already revealed more than they wish, their lie beginning to be more or less, both more and less, than they wish. For the husband is wearing a cap upon which are the initials of his workplace, which is located some 3,000 miles from the city, the wife— has claimed she is from. Suddenly the simple lie complicates itself, embroiling the innocent husband in its web. For he knows little of the city of the wife. He too is only a tourist there where he visits her. To maintain the fiction, the husband and the wife resolve to offer the truth of the rest of their union, a long-distance marriage. But should I speak to the man alone, as men often do? Do I speak about your city?" asks the husband. No, says the wife. Keep it simple. Keep it clear. Don't volunteer anything. Don't let's get further into the lie. Yet, what do I do for a living? Where do I work? The husband anxiously queries the wife. Not important, the wife declares. Ask him questions as though men could speak about their desires or tastes, about their propensities or contempts without establishing dominion. I'll say I work for X in Y. He won't know, resolves the husband. I'm on assignment. In other matters, the wife was, is truthful with the couple, such as when asked how many children she had, she replied, one son, which sounded as though it were a lie. The husband has three sons, but they were not revealed, and relations between the neighbors continued for a time unruffled. Sporting interests were revealed by the elderly man who ran on the beach, walked to town, coached football for a living during his prime. Both men are athletic and fit, though separated by 30 years, a fact that only comes to light when the elderly man says, oh, you live in X, I was there some time ago, I was stationed there during World War II. This not only reveals his approximate age, but strikes a tiny terror in the hearts of the "'husband and wife, for he no doubt knows more about the town "'the wife comes from than the husband. "'The husband quickly diverts the path he can see the man is taking. "'And where do you live now?' he asks, "'practicing some diversionary interrogation. "'We live in West Y, near the inn border, "'over near Trace Peas, on the east side of the Rio G, "'on a little ranchita.' This disclosure disturbs the wife. She had once lived in in a small place and planned to return one day and have her own ranchita. She fears she could be caught in her seemingly harmless fib. The immense world that distinguishes separates a husband from a boyfriend, a husband who might well wind up on that ranchita with her, and perhaps not too far from the ranchita of the couple, who seem nice enough to visit, certainly open enough to count among her many and diverse acquaintances. But a boyfriend, a boyfriend might not wind up on that ranchita or anywhere near it, If she ever ran into this couple again, and the boyfriend was no longer in the picture, she might be saddled with yet another ex-husband, or an ex-husband to whom she was not really married, while still married to another man from whom she was separated, with whom she had actually once visited this very place, also in search of simplicity. Of course, a boyfriend might indeed accompany her to the ranchita. They might even live with or in each other's orbits for the rest of their days. Who knew? A boyfriend could be as devoted, committed, protective, loving, and permanent, perhaps even more so than a husband. In time, the boyfriend might simply be called husband. After all, the state of N still recognized common-law marriages. Did the Navajo have weddings? Did the Fijians actually go to the altar? And what about the Cubans? They hardly ever got married. No one cared about the legality of romantic unions since the state took care of basic needs. Who bothered to imagine alimony in a socialist state? Child support forced by judicial mandate. But the two words, boyfriend and husband, are infinitely different in their histories and associations, and in using one and not the other, the woman understood precisely her fiction. Or perhaps she did not. Perhaps the man she loved she both wanted as boyfriend and knew as husband, there being so few words in the American language for the nature of their connection, yet so many variations on the nature of its meaning. The word she wanted at this very time in this very place, was a word that both contained and defied history, a word outside of time, like a poem. But she could not transmit this, or did not imagine she could, to the elderly couple, who she came to suspect would not care very much about the status of the marriage or the choice of the word. Nonetheless, she was stuck with it, like an unplanned pregnancy, which is not a lie at all, But certainly in this day and age, a mistake, out of which, in the vast majority of cases, whole fictional narratives emerge. More Lies Rumor has it, this woman goes through dogs, some women go through husbands, some men go through women, some kids go through clothes, ballerinas go through toe shoes, spendthrifts go through money, overeaters go through cookies, and so forth. But this woman, this is her sixth dog in a short time. Longer, of course, if you count it in dog years. The porch gossips say, and who knows if they can be trusted, who really knows what's what. That she might have a disease. You know, the kind they feature on 60 Minutes or ER. The kind that glues people to the TV because they're horrified and compelled like they'd be at a bloody accident or a building on fire. So long as it's not them or theirs. Dog number one died suddenly. Dog number two died suddenly after a brief illness. Dog number three died slowly after a slow illness and many vet visits. Dog number four died some way, no one remembers. Dog number five rolled over and died. Dog number six is okay now, but was sick as a small puppy. The gossips are crossing their fingers. After all, they live in the same vicinity. The woman says, the veterinarian says, there's something toxic in the soil in her backyard. What if there's something toxic in all their backyards? What if her house and their houses were built over old gas stations or car repair shops? It's hard to believe that this woman would ever let her dogs out in her backyard. Dog number six she carries in a baby front pack because he's very little. He's not going to get much bigger either. But now, she says, he's better, and she lets him move around on a leash. In fact, she walks him. So say the gossips, and she probably never puts him outside alone. That's why they're suspicious. It could be that this woman simply has bad luck with pets. It could be that this woman makes her pets ill so she can nurse them right up to their death. She has no children and no husband. The gossips say, thank God for that. It is very hard, given the circumstantial evidence, when one is told of such events, not to believe them. They sound so plausible, even if there's no proof. Why do they appeal to one's instincts rather than one's reason? Juicy bits of information about a woman who is rather nervous and neurotic, who strolls down the street with a different dog every year or so goes to great lengths, far away places to buy the dogs, after long email conversations with their breeders. Always a purebred dog. Always from out of state. The facts start to pile up, right? Something, if one had nothing else to do, one could take to a private investigator. He'd solve it all, right? Can you go to jail for murdering a dog? It's a misdemeanor. The law considers dogs chattel. But you remember that guy who threw a dog off the freeway? That was cruelty. That got him jail time. How about murdering someone else's dog? That would also get you jail time. Somewhere there is something called an animal patrol. Not like they take animals to the pound, but they remove abused pets from homes, kind of like child protective custody services. Yesterday, I lied. A good lie told spontaneously, is a piece of art, though it makes a person like me guilty. It could be addictive. It worked that well. It all started after I'd heard about the woman with the succession of dogs. The car wouldn't start, the battery dead again. An operator at AAA says, 45 minutes. 45 minutes, I say? Oh, no, I have to pick up a small child. From school or from daycare? the operator asks, from daycare. If you're late, you know, they just take the kid to Child Protective Custody Services. Oh, my God, the operator says, greatly alarmed. Is that what they do these days? Oh, yes, I say. They just don't want to wait. In two minutes, a tow truck arrived. So your little car won't start, hun? Yeah, it's always the battery. He did his jumping magic with great dispatch. When I thanked him for arriving on the scene so quickly, he said, Oh, you deserve even faster service. How could it be faster, I thought. Of course, he said, what you deserve and what you get are two different things in this world. Yeah, I know, I said. I mean, I was just laid off. I lied again. You in the tech biz? No, I'm a school teacher. A teacher? For Christ's sake, the bastards. It'll come back to them. Some kid will kill a dog because nobody taught him the right way to behave. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. <laughs>